Today on the show, I will share with you a workshop I did at the Belgium Kundalini Yoga Festival. Please continue to support the podcast by rating and reviewing it on iTunes and sharing it with your friends. If you know someone that you think would enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. Help me spread the word. I rely on the generosity from you, the listeners, to help support this program. Please make a donation. Go to the storyofmepodcast.com and on the contact page, there's a donate button you can give in any currency, including Bitcoin, to help keep me out of the system. You can also find this link in the episode description and help support the podcast so I can continue to bring you these episodes. You can also go to the podcast website to submit your questions to be answered on the program. Okay, let's get to today's episode. Beautiful am I, bountiful am I, blissful am I, why? Welcome to the show. For new listeners, my name is Amarjit Singh, and I am your host. For old listeners, welcome back. It's good to have everyone here again. I hope everyone is doing well. Today, I thought I would share with you a workshop I did at the Belgium Kundalini Yoga Festival. It was a nice group. People were engaged, asking lots of questions, and so it was a nice dialogue which I really enjoy when I'm teaching, so it's more interactive, and I can focus on the interest of the participants. So enjoy the workshop. Feel free to submit your questions. You go to the storyofmepodcast.com on the contact page, and uh, you can record or type in your question, and I will answer it. All right, so enjoy. So what does it mean to be authentic? If I ask you, what is the difference between someone who is authentic and someone who is not, what is it? What does this mean? Is it just a nice word we use in yoga, talk about things, or does it have some significance? Not wearing the mask, you're not trying to please others, or do things like that. Just do what you feel is right for you, whatever other people say. Okay. So we can say that it is removing this mask that you said, or removing this, these ways of being that are not uh, true, right? So how do we know when we're being authentic or not? Is there a light that comes on in your mind and says, okay, I'm being authentic, or what is it? How do you know when you're authentic and when you're not, or when someone else is? You can feel it. I'm sorry? You can feel it. You can feel it. Okay. So if you, you can feel it, this is true, and we'll get into how you can feel it. But for our purposes to understand how to become more authentic, how do we describe this feeling? Are, are there words that we could put behind it to describe the disposition or, or, or the potential for this authenticity? You're not thinking. I'm sorry? You're not thinking, it just comes. It just comes. 
Okay. And so, is it difficult to be authentic? Sometimes. Why? Because the mind is in the way. <laughs> yes, fear. You get an ego. I'm sorry? It's your ego. Your ego. And where is your ego? In the mind. Where in the mind? Is it in the frontal lobe, the cortex? Where, where's, the, where's the ego? It's above it's you. Which part? The, the back part of the brain? or where, where is it? part of your being. And what you have to figure out, you do something for your ego to impress all of us, or etc., etc., but you really want to do something. Okay, so let, let's, let's try to understand what this means as part of your being. First, let's try to locate it. Where is it located? Is it in the hand? We said it's in the brain. Where, where in the brain is it? Or where in the being is it? It's in the thinking. It's in the thinking. Yeah, but the, the, the authentic is more, um, it's more intuition or feeling. I would okay. not situate it. And so then where is the ego in relationship to this? The ego is just thinking. It's, it's a way of trying to control the outcome. Well, first I want to locate it before we describe what it does. I don't There is it in your body, but it's your second voice. For me, it's your second voice. Your second voice. That's interesting. Yes. Okay, we'll get back to the second voice. But you're right, it's nowhere in the body because it's just a collection of thoughts. Mm -hmm. The ego is just a collection of thoughts. That's it. And the aura. The ego, no, I would say the ego is a collection of thoughts. And these thoughts are how you perceive yourself. Right? You, you look in the mirror and you have a perception of yourself and this, and, or the idea that you want to translate or to, to show other people, like we said, the mask, right? Or even just things that we identify with, your, your job, your uh, culture, your nationality, your whatever it is, these are just thoughts that you identify with. And they're aspects of your ego. When someone says, who are you? What do you say? Who are you? Right. Images. They're ideas. Because we could say they're images, but really they're just ideas. And, and, and some of them are, are, well, they're all temporary ideas, but they're just ideas. And some that we stick to stronger than others. Right? If you define yourself as being a yogi or being a lawyer or being a doctor, and then something happens where you lose your job, how do you feel? Disappointed. Disappointed. Why would you be disappointed? If you lose something, it won't keep. Right. And it's because this represents this idea of who you are or who you think you are. Right? You say, I, I am a, a lawyer. And then you lose your job. And what happens? People get depressed and, and they lose meaning in their life or they lose this focus because they value themselves through this idea. And it's reaffirmed every week when you get paid that you're valuable and this is how you identify. You may do this with your job, with your, uh, even just the sex you are. Oh, I'm a woman and women we don't do this or men we don't do this. 
And we put up all these ideas of who we think we are and what these ideas really are, are borders. They're fences. And they're closing you in to a restricted movement. Because you say, oh, my culture, we don't do this. My, my profession, we don't act this way. Or we don't do this. Or men, we don't do this. Or women, we don't do this. And the stronger the attachment to these ideas, the more inauthentic you're going to be. And not only the more inauthentic you're going to be, the more prone you are to depression. And the more, the longer it's going to last. So let's go back to this idea of, okay, you lose your job, or even you say, okay, who are you? I'm married. This is my partner. This is, I have, I'm a homeowner. I own a car, whatever it is. And you lose one of these things. You lose your home. You lose your partner. You lose your job. And then you start to get depressed. Why? Why does that make you depressed? I'm sorry? Attachment to this. Yeah. So it's attachment to this way of seeing yourself. And now that you don't see yourself in this way, you don't value yourself as much. You say, oh, the people won't think so highly of me because now I don't have a nice house or a nice car or this job. And so you start to then see yourself as less than. And so in the, in the, Mind is trying to focus and trying to find that center of who you are. And the stronger you're attached to these ideas of who you think you are, the longer that depression is going to last. Because what is depression? And we can, we can talk about depression that comes from head trauma or physical injury or something like this, and this is separate. What I'm talking about is just the everyday depression that people get going through life. Some people more than others. And what is this? We look at it in our society as an illness. We say, oh, this person, they're depressed, they're sick, they need medication. Being removed from your true self. Yeah, well, it's, it's trying to find... You can look at depression as a growing pain. Right? Look at a baby... When they start to get teeth in, what do they do? It's painful. They cry. And, but as soon as they come in, they're able to consume a wider variety of food. So it opens them up, expands their, their exposure, their opportunity to eat different things. The same thing with this depression. Say we start to think, okay, I am my job. I got fired. And maybe consciously you're not thinking this, but this is what's happening unconsciously. And that's why many people don't understand why they're depressed, because they don't understand that it's a growing pain. And what it is, is it's looking for this new way of seeing yourself. Because the old way is no longer working because either you lost your job, you lost your house, or whatever has changed in your life. And so you're looking for a new center of who am I? The tighter the grip on this idea of who you thought you were, the longer this depression is going to last and the deeper it's going to be. But it's just trying to find a new identification. And if you are successful and you're able to let this idea of, yeah, I got my value from being a lawyer, from being a a father or whatever it is, then 
you let this idea go, and what happens? Just like the baby who can now consume a wider variety of food, you've opened your limits in life. Because what is limiting you but these thoughts? And the collection of thoughts that we call the ego is the biggest limit. This process of depression, of, of then trying to reorganize this way of looking at yourself, to, to look at yourself in a more authentic way, a way that, that isn't false. And so this is the whole process of really trying to let go of this ego because the ego is just this false idea of who you think you are. And so then I ask you, who are you? Well, this is the Yoga 101, right? Who are you? I am. Okay. Consciousness, just the immortal consciousness. Okay. So we are this consciousness that is illuminating this experience through this mind and this body vehicle. And you say this, and everyone says this, I'm the consciousness, and we all know this because we've read a book or we've heard this, or maybe we've had a, a small experience or something like this. But do you believe this? Do you really believe this? Because you might think this intellectually, but do you really believe it? Where does the suffering come from? If you're trying to hold a yoga posture, that's very difficult. And you need to move because it's too difficult. Or even just sitting in a meditative posture for an hour without moving a millimeter of your body. Can you do this for two hours, three hours? Without adjusting your knees, your legs, your hips? And if you can't, why not? If you're trying to sit in, in a meditative posture, why do you move when you're meditating? It hurts. Who's it hurting? Listen to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> who's, it, who's it hurting? Uh, how do you describe it? I'm not the body, I'm not even the mind. Right. But... Uh, I'm identified with the mind, so it's hurting me in my idea of who I am. Yeah, and, and this, you know, uh, every, everyone does this. You, you know, after a certain point, it's really hard to hold this concentration. But what I'm trying to show you is that while everyone in this room, when I ask, who are you, they know, okay, I'm not this body, I'm not this mind. This is very simple. We know this because... We're doing this. We're having this experience, and we can we can experience glimpses of of this. But you don't fully believe it, because if you fully believed it, all the suffering in your life would go away. Starting just from the simple yoga posture, because you say, "Oh, it's painful in my leg." But like I asked him, I said, "Well, who, who's who's feeling the pain?" And you said you're your consciousness, right? This is what we all agreed upon that we're our consciousness. Is the consciousness feeling the pain? Does your consciousness feel the pain in your legs? Is the body feeling the pain? The body? Or the mind connecting to the body? It, it's, a, it's a combination of the body and the mind. We'll get into how this is. But is this you? Are you the body or are you the mind? No. Anything that, that is temporary is not you. 
but it helps me to be here. Without them, I wouldn't be here. But if I, I, I drive a car, I couldn't get to a, a far place without that car, but that car is not me. And the body helps you to learn what we're, we're trying to learn, right? But it's not you. And, and this is the issue is that when you start to identify with it, it creates all the suffering in your life because first you have this pain in the leg or you have this thought of I'm not good or I, I'm not uh, whatever it may be. And that thought creates a feeling just like the pain in the leg is a feeling. And when you respond to that thought or that feeling, what you're doing is you're identifying with it so strongly that you're saying, I can't not react to it because it, I think it's me. I think I am feeling this pain. And I'm not saying the pain doesn't exist in, in the physical body, but it's not you that's feeling it. It's not you that's experiencing it. And if it's not you that's experiencing it, why are we reacting to it? We are feeling the mind. Yeah, it's, it's all false identification. This is false identification. It's identifying with something and then reacting to it. That reaction is the identification. Now, if you can sit still and that pain comes in the leg and you don't react to it, then you're not identifying with it. But just because you don't react to it, does that pain go away? Sometimes. What? Sometimes. Can I ask you? Sure. If we sit for too long and we're not used to it, we might injure our knees also. So if I feel the pain in my knee, mm -hmm. it's not my soul feeling the pain. I know it's, it's, it's the body, etc. But it's like if, if the alarm light in the car goes on, uh, engine too hot or whatever, then, then I need to stop because I want to take care of the, of the vehicle. Right. Yeah, definitely. You need to understand your body well enough to understand pain that's a warning of injury and pain that it is just discomfort. This is, this is, you're right with this, because if it's, you have some uh, problem with your knee and, and this is a, a serious problem, that maybe it will lead to injury. But what I'm talking about mostly is just pain that we call discomfort, right? And, and this is the discomfort of life, the suffering of life. The, the anxiety, the apprehension, all these things are not going to, to harm us if we, if we are able to let go of the thoughts and the identification with them. And, and, and so this is really how to approach life to be authentic, is to really learn how to let go of these false ideas of who you think you are. Because it's who you think you are, which is preventing you from seeing who you are. When you think about your life, all the experiences you have, all the different people in this world and all the different experiences. But if you look at your group of friends or the, the people that you've dated throughout your life, there's a very small spectrum of, of the, the experiences compared to what's possible in this world. And why is that? Is because we put limits on ourselves. We, we put this idea of who we think we are and then we behave based on this idea. And again, like someone said, it's the thinking. And we think when it's not necessary to think. So how do we dissociate from that? Well, it's a good question. 
but let's, let's change this word disassociate because I, I this word is kind of almost like um, at least when I hear this word I, I think of almost like ignoring or letting go but your the idea is right is how do we let go of the identification uh, of this and so I'm going to explain this in uh, in, in the an example of a, a yoga posture. Okay, let's say that you're doing a yoga posture, and uh, if you've done white tantric yoga, you notice you have to put your arms up or different postures. Let's say you have to just put your arms up like this for an hour. And we can approach this in three ways. When the pain starts to get great and my arms start to get heavy, I can say, okay, I'm strong. I'm going to use my strength to keep my arms up. And I'm going to just flex my muscles and I'm going to, to bite down and try to hold that posture with as much force as I can. And this is how many people go through life. Everything is a confrontation. They have this idea, it's me against the world. And while in society, some of these people are economically rewarded to have this perspective, how peaceful is the mind when you're holding this posture and you're trying to contract all your muscles to, to hold it? How is the mind? Is it peaceful? No, it's a lot of tension. And you can see these types of people when they go through life, you can see the tension in their jaw, you can see the tension in their body, the way they move around. And this is how many people go through life. Then there's another way you can do this. You can be holding this posture. When it becomes really difficult, you can start to imagine yourself on the beach. You say, okay, I'm just taking the sun. I'm on the beach. I don't feel this pain. And this is how the majority of people go through life, through distraction. Right? Yeah, I'm going to watch TV, too much TV. I'm going to eat when I'm not hungry. I'm going to indulge in some drugs or alcohol or, or some activity that distracts me from the pain of my life. And while the mind may be a little more peaceful than the first example I gave, how is the mind of someone who is thinking they're somewhere else when they're in the, in the place? No. There's duality, right? They're not present. And if you're not present, you will never enjoy life. Trying to enjoy life and not be present it's like trying to enjoy a party that you're not at. This is what's happening. And while it's a little more peaceful than the first example, it's not the right way to do it. And this is the majority of people, this is what they do. Then we can look at the third approach. And we can be holding this posture, and when the pain starts to get great, what happens? The mind says, put your arms down. It hurts, just for a second. And most people can maybe ignore the mind for a minute or two, but then they put their arms down. But we already said the mind is not us. The body is not us. We may be experiencing the sensations and the thoughts, but they aren't us. And if that pain is really bad and I don't move, what will happen to me? Will I die? Will my arm fall off? What will happen? Now, like I said, you have to know the difference between pain that is a 
warning of injury and pain that is just from discomfort. And this is just discomfort. So we have to understand then that when we're in this position and the mind is telling us, put your arms down, and the body is saying, this hurts, you don't have to listen. Who's in charge? This is the big issue that most people have is the mind is in charge. And this is like owning a company and letting the, the employees tell you what to do. It's the same thing. And so you have to put in order the structure of the consciousness controlling the mind. And so when I'm in this posture, I'm not saying that my, my arms don't hurt, but I'm saying it doesn't hurt me. I feel it in the body, but I don't feel it in my consciousness. Maybe tomorrow my shoulders will be sore, but that's okay. Nothing's going to happen to me. And when the mind keeps telling you, put the arms down, put the arms down, I say, I don't have to listen to you. And so I start to, to chant this mantra, I don't need to listen. I don't need to listen. And eventually, the mind will stop. And that pain will disappear. It may come back, but it's temporary. It's just a sensation. And it's a sensation that is painful because of your judgment. And when you start to relax into this posture and just say, it's okay, I'm not anticipating that the pain will go away, it may stay, I don't care. But I'm not moving. And this is, this is the approach without condition. Isn't this also not using the willpower to decide not to listen to the pain? Uh, I'm sorry, can you repeat that a little louder? Isn't this also the willpower because you decide not to listen to Willpower, I mean, it, we can define this willpower as just a thought as well, a thought that you can hold on to. Right? Concentration is the same thing. It, it is focusing the energy. We call it willpower, but I, yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I, I try to not look at it as something that requires the, the thinking from the mind. What I'm trying to do is to concentrate the consciousness to not react to the mind and the body. The more you react to the mind and the body, the, the more suffering you have in your life. The more drama you have, the more problems you have. Because you're constantly reacting. And why are you reacting? So think about if someone calls me short. I'm not short. I'm not tall. I'm average. I, I don't have any emotional reaction. But now imagine if I was self-conscious about my height and someone says that. How do I feel? How do I react? And so why in one instance it was okay, it didn't affect me, and in another one it did? Was it because the person who said it or, or the way they said it? No, it's my reaction to what was being said. And all your suffering comes from the self-judgment, this reaction to your self-judgment projected. Let's do, let's do a little meditation to connect us. I'm still puzzling. Okay. I'm puzzling about why do I... Hold my arms because of bringing something. No, well, like I said, 
what's going to happen if you hold your arms out like this for three hours? What will happen to you? No. Okay. Why should I? I'm using this as an example to life. Okay. Yeah. So think about um, um, the concept of pain. You should avoid pain. Why should you accept pain? No, no, no. You, you, you should... Well... Of course, you should avoid something falling on you. You should, you should avoid accidents, of course. But in this example I'm giving of the pain, I'm talking about the suffering of life, right? It's an example of the suffering of life. And if you try to avoid all the suffering of life, you have a very limited life. And so what we want to do is we want to expand our experience to be able to see the most variety in the reflections to who we think we are, or who we are, and the experiences that we have. And the more experiences and the more the wider the variety of these experiences, the more you're going to understand yourself. Because we learn about ourselves in relationship to people, places, and things. Right? You you go to a different country for the first time and you look at these people and you say, What what are they doing this way of life for? What is this this culture? And the second question is, well, why do I do something different? And it's, it's a reflection of, of ourselves. And this is how we learn about ourselves. And so what we want to do is we want to open up this experience, to not limit this experience, because your consciousness is infinite. It's not finite. And why would you want to limit something that's infinite? Does that answer that question? In this idea of pain is a judgment. Just like the example I gave when someone said I'm short and I know I'm not, it doesn't bother me, but then if I have some self-conscious thoughts about my height and someone says it, then I'm hurt. I'm offended. And so why in one instance am I offended and one I'm not? And what does that say about me, not the outside world? And what I want to do is I want to reduce my pain Right, my suffering, and my and by not reacting, and when I react, this is when the suffering comes. And this idea of pain is a judgment. Pain is just a sensation. The same thing with pleasure; it's just a sensation, but it's the identity that we put towards us. Because some people find pain pleasurable, right? In their life, they create chaos because they they enjoy this chaos at some level or whatever it is, it's just a judgment. And it's a judgment from either the positive mind or the negative mind. When when you're in this posture and, and the leg starts to hurt, we feel this, this tingling sensation that's painful. And we start to try to escape it in our mind before we physically move. We try to internally adjust or internally relax. And we're just thinking, I can't wait for this pain to go away. It hurts. And the more you think this way, the longer that pain is going to last. Right? You, can, you can see this in your life. When you're in a situation that's not such a pleasant situation, the more you're anticipating it to end, the longer it's going to last. And even saying that this sensation will eventually go away, this is conditional. If you think this way, go, oh, don't worry, it will go away after a while. This is conditional thinking. Because what I'm saying is to let go of the condition. Maybe it goes away, maybe it doesn't. But don't put your attention to this. 
And eventually it will go away and it will come back, it will go away, whatever happens. Because all this, these sensations in the body all start from the mind. And we'll get into that after this. How about um, pain from love? Pain, love can hurt. Huh? No, love can't hurt. <laughs> Emotions hurt. Pain, love doesn't hurt. Because what happens, it's a good question, what happens, again, going, this relates to the ego. We, we have something happen to us, whether our partner leaves us or whatever drama is going on, and we say, oh, I have a broken heart. I'm hurt. And this is just the ego. I don't mean that kind of love. Okay. Well. <laughs> Or pain. I, I, I mean, like, real love. <laughs> that okay, I'm, like I'll get to this. Unconditional yeah, love lo lo that, that can yeah. hurt. It doesn't hurt. It's a feeling. It, 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 the, but the feeling is, is, is being filtered out through your reaction. And let me finish what I was saying, because I think we'll get to this. So, we have something happen... And, and we, we say we have a broken heart or we have this, but really it's just the ego. Because we mistake in love for emotions often. Because the emotions change. Happy, sad, whatever, they, they're not constant. But love is your natural state. We really want to get into this. Is when I talk about who are you, you are the creative manifestation of the Creator. We agree on this. You're the creative manifestation of the creator. And what is creativity? Because that's what you are, right? You're the creative manifestation of the creator. What is creativity? Or what, what, what is love? I'll give you the example. When you make dinner for that special person in your life, and you say, I made this dinner with love. Right? We've all done this. It's maybe not dinner. Maybe it's something else. I don't know what. What does this mean? What's different in this moment than in the other moments when you make dinner, the other days? You were thinking about attention? Yes, attention. Okay. Happiness. Okay. Happiness. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. And then you were happy too? Happy. Okay, so let's let's go through this. You're making you're making this dinner with love, and as you're doing this, what are you thinking about? Someone said something. You're thinking, for instance, about the person for who you are. Okay. Okay, and and when you say you're thinking about this, you're thinking about this, and you're thinking about how you feel when you're doing this, right? You're saying, oh, I, maybe consciously you're not saying this, you're just saying, I'm thinking this. But really what you're doing is, when you think of this person, this is how they make you feel. And this is their favorite dish, so this makes you feel more connected to them. And then I want the, the table to look this way, to use this color of flowers. And what you're doing is you're connecting to this internal experience of all these feelings that are happening within you. And you're expressing them in whatever it is that you're doing in this way that's very specific to you, right? Because someone else can't do the same thing. They can make the same dinner, but they don't have the same feelings. And so their picture or their expression is going to be different. 
And so this is love. It's being present in that moment, taking this internal experience and manifesting this as your personal touch in whatever it is that you're doing. This is love. It's the expression of your consciousness. Because creativity and love are the same. There's no difference. And so when... But then the meaning that you put on the table and the reaction that you get from the person you think to get happy with this meal will not be the reaction that makes you have your heart broken, right? No, no, no. The, the, again, the heart isn't broken. The ego is hurt. So let's separate these two. This is what we're trying to do is to separate these two. But we're talking about the expression first. Let's, the, the result is it's not important. It's the expression. And so you you are this creative manifestation of the creator. You are creativity. You are love. This is your natural disposition. Your consciousness, call consciousness, we call it love, we call it creativity. This is what it is. And going back to this idea of authenticity, what is the purpose of life is to express this consciousness, to illuminate in a in a more profound way, in a brighter way, this 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 inner experience. And so going back to this idea of painful love, your consciousness does not feel pain. And your consciousness is love. How can it be hurt? What gets hurt is the ego, what gets hurt are the feelings, all these things, but it's not because even if your partner leaves you or they do something bad or whatever happens, if you truly have love in your heart, you want the best for them no matter what, how bad of a person they are, how bad that experience was. But if the ego gets in the way, no, you want to see them harmed. You want to see yourself feel better, whatever it may be. But love doesn't fluctuate. Your interpretation of it, the ego, all this changes, the emotions, but love doesn't fluctuates so it, it can't be harm question what about uh, other people's suffering what, what Can you imagine it could be possible to to embrace their own suffering uh, if you see other people suffering uh, and, and what happens if you see other people suffering sometimes I feel frustrated and because I, I recognize the suffering in them, I, I recognize some of the mechanisms. And, and what do you mean you recognize it? What does that mean, recognize it? Recognize it from where? I guess from from what from what we all do, from, okay. from what we've experienced before, and, and, and even still it continues. It, it, the suffering inside me doesn't stop, but I, I think I'm more aware, maybe, of my own suffering. And, well, and I see other people completely unaware, unconscious uh, of, 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 the, of the mind telling things that, that, that probably are true. Yeah, well, the thing is, when we start to, to react, it's because we have self-judgment. And maybe we see suffering in them that we suffer from and we project our, our psychology onto them and we start to feel the pain. Because compassion is, is not identifying with another person's emotions or suffering. It's having compassion to try to 
help alleviate it, help remove it, but it's not identifying with it. And this identification is what's causing you the suffering. And you may be identifying because this is suffering that you have experienced or that you are experiencing, or, or maybe it's something else. I don't know in the specific case. I think I, I would like to help, but I don't know how. Well, this could, this could cause you suffering as well, because then you feel, like you said, frustrated. I want to help, but this is not, this is, this is a, a reaction to, to your own thinking. It's not a reaction to the suffering of the other person directly. And so then you have to let go of this and just learn to, to accept that you can focus your attention and do as much as you can, but some people are not ready to let go of their suffering. What am I to do then? And it's an attachment. Like if I'm teaching people or counseling someone, and in the, in the beginning, uh, when I, I read people's hands and I, I counsel them based on the information I get, and when I first started to do this, I used to be attached to the result. If I ran into that person a year later and I could see they didn't learn from this and they didn't, then I would say, okay, I, 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 I'm not doing a good job or I'm not enjoying this. And then you start to learn this is an attachment. And it's not helping anyone because it's then it's going to, to confuse my communication. I'm not going to be as clear as I possibly can. And so instead of focusing on the result, I focus on the process, on my actions. I do as best I can and let it go. And whatever that person gets, they get. Whatever they don't get, they don't get. But I could only be responsible for my expression and try to do this the best I can, and let it go from there. And this is the thinking, this is the idea when I was talking about people think too much. The more you go down this path, the less you should be thinking about yourself at all. People talk about having self-esteem and self-love, and these are ideas that are just human ideas that, that are... are taking away your peace of mind. It's just, we, we replace one thought with another thought, and we think this is more peaceful, or this is a better way to look at life, but it's only a, a, a different focus. right? If you have an addiction, you wake up every day and you say, I need a drink, I need a drink, and, and, and you drink alcohol. And then after years of this, you realize, okay, this is not good for me, I need to stop. And so then you start to, to say, wake up and say, I can't drink, I can't drink, I can't drink. And so you replace one mantra with another mantra. And while the second one is maybe easier on the liver, it's still an attachment. And there's no peace of mind. What we want to do is we want to let go of all the thinking that's unnecessary. All these ideas that are just these concepts to make us think more. This idea of self-esteem and self-love it's thinking about the self in relationship to the experience. And the more I go down this, this path, the less I think about myself. And in, in fact, look at when you're doing something creative or doing something where you lost track of time, right? You, got, you were in the moment. You weren't thinking about you. You were just thinking about whatever it is that you were doing. 
right? We've all had this experience. And this is what you want to do is to stop thinking when it's not necessary. And, and to quiet the mind. So we go back to this, this idea of that we are love. And we're going to, to use this to figure out your purpose of life. Because we can talk about authenticity, but how do we know when we're being authentic or not? We need to first know what our authentic nature is, or, or what is the idea, at least, of our authentic nature. And so what is your purpose of life? Serve your soul. What is the, the purpose of an apple tree? Create apples. Right. <laughs> to, to, to the, the purpose of apple tree is to, to express itself through growing apples. So when we look at nature, we, we see ourselves separate from nature because we're in buildings, we're in cars, we're in these man-made things, but really we are nature. Same as a tree, the same as the, the animals. And we may be a little more complex, but we're, we're part of nature. And the apple tree is there to express itself. And the difference between humans and the rest of the beings, animals, trees, whatever it is, is that we can go against our true nature. An apple tree can't say, I don't feel like growing apples today. I want to just sleep in. <laughs> it can't do this. It can't go against its nature. As long as it's getting the proper nutrients, it's going to grow apples. But yet we can do this. We can go against our, our true nature, and this is what causes all the suffering in your life. In a way, it depends, because there are less, and there is more apples, and there is less apples. So he can go against the nature as well, that apple tree. The, the, because there are years that there is more apples than there is less. But this is not the tree's fault. But it's, yeah, but it's going against the nature then. No, it's not going against its nature. It, 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 its nature is that if it gets enough nutrients from the ground, enough sun, enough water, that it will grow. If it doesn't get any of these, it won't. But it's that if it doesn't get these, it's not because of its nature, it's because of the nature of external to this. And so then when we look at ourselves, we are this creative manifestation of the creator. We are creativity. What is the purpose of creativity but to express itself? Right? And just like the apple tree, you are here to express yourself. And for everyone, this is unique. Just like an apple tree and a pear tree, they're two different trees. They grow different fruits. And people are the same way. And so we, we can think of then your communication or your expression is this expression of love. right? Creativity and love are the same. And like I talked about making dinner with love, you can clean your house with love. You can do everything with this attention to how you feel and how this internal experience is going and how you're projecting it in this external experience. If you can go 
every day, all day, in every activity that you do with this attention to love, you will have a better day. Try it. Every way you communicate to people, do it with love. Everything you do from cleaning the dishes to cooking to whatever it is, do it with love. Do it with this attention of how you feel and how you want to personalize your touch in this world. And the resistance to this is the obstacles to you being authentic. What happens, you're in a, in a, uh, you're with your family and you're having difficulty being kind or with a partner or with someone because you can't express this love. And this is what happens. All this self-judgment, the way we think of ourselves, the way we perceive ourselves, causes us to have this, this idea of who we are and it affects our communication. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to look weak. We don't want to. And so we try to build up this collection of thoughts that we call the ego to protect us. That's all the ego is to try to protect and value ourselves. And what you want to do is you want to remove this resistance. You can think of it like this. You know the, these projectors where they you put the, the slide in and it turns around, right? Everyone, I don't know if they still make these, but they did when I was young. And it projects with no picture in it, just projects the white light onto the wall. But then we take a little slide that has colors and shapes, and we put it in there, and that restricts the flow of white light. And so we see the image projected onto this wall. And this is the resistance to the white light. And this is how you can think of your consciousness, is this flow of light that is illuminating your experience. and all these false identifications, all these ideas of who you think you are, all these things are restricting the projection of that white light, the projection of the expression of love. Right? And so what you want to do then is to remove all these things that are causing this resistance. How do we do this? And how do we no one were going one direction or the other. And I think we asked this in the beginning, is how do you know when you're authentic when you're not? Do you know all the time? Or are there times where it's unconscious or conscious that you're, you're unconscious that you're being inauthentic? When you're not connected to love. Mm. Yeah. So, connected to love. So we, we can look at this, I think someone talked about the will, right, and determination or something. Look at this through this process of free will. There's some people who think there's no such thing as free will, that you are the result of all your conditioning and you're just reacting to all this conditioning. 
whether it's physical or mental. And then there's another group who think anything you decide with your mind is free will. And they're both wrong. What is free will and how do you know when you're exercising it? And it's difficult when we look at this idea of free will because often we are reacting to habit patterns that were formed in our childhood and and even formed in previous lives. So how do we know when we're reacting to to, uh, a deeply ingrained pattern in the mind and when we're reacting through free will? How do you know the difference? Because often it's unconscious. So how do you know which is which activity or which expression is that of free will and which one is not? It's difficult. You do not always know? No, but there's a way to know. A very easy way. We try to make it so complex and try to understand these habit patterns and where did this habit pattern start at all because of my parents did this and I grew up this way. But these patterns started in previous lives. And so it's very difficult to know. In fact, many of your habit patterns are so deeply ingrained into your mind that you think they're aspects of your personality and you identify with them. So I'm a shy person, or I'm this type of person, I'm that type of person, and those are really just reactions. They're not your personality. But they're so deeply ingrained that you've lived with them who knows how many lives, and so you think they are you. But there's a simple way to understand if we're acting with free will or not, and, and that's to, to understand the point of life, the purpose of life. And the purpose of life, like I said, is to bring more light in your life, meaning to illuminate this experience so that you can see everything for how it really is, not how it appears to be. And you can understand who you are. And so if this is why you were born, why you came to this human experience, is to recognize truth. Right? What is truth? Ekankar Sat Only one truth. Anything that changes is false. Because the moment you talk about it, it's already changed. Maybe not visually you can see this, but nothing is the same. Because everything is changing. The only thing that doesn't change is the truth. And the expression of this truth and the understanding of this truth is the purpose of life. So then when you're doing something, you have to ask yourself, is this getting me closer to this truth or moving me away from it? That's all you need to be able to answer that question. Then you know, is this free will or this not? One day a friend calls you up and says, hey, let's go out dancing. 
and say, okay, I'm going to go out, and you go out dancing. Well, is this free will or is this not? Well, there's nothing wrong with it. It brings you closer to your friends. It gives you some physical activity. So, okay, this is, this is maybe getting me to uh, understand my body better, to have a better relationship with my friends, whatever it is. We would say this may be free will. But now let's say that you start doing this where it's getting in the way of your work because now you're arriving to work late. You're going every day to do this, and it's, it's, it's disrupting your life. And what is it disrupting you from doing? From expressing love, from being creative, from expressing your purpose in life. Then this is not free will. And if you look at all your activities, it should be easy to say, is this moving me closer to understanding who I am and to expressing myself or moving me further away? That's all you need to know. And then you can, you can tell, is this free will or not? Sometimes this may be difficult because you don't want to admit to yourself that this is moving you away. Oh, I make excuses. So the purpose of my life is always to express love? It's to express yourself. And who are you but love? And what is love but creativity? Love and creativity are the same, right? And what? Well, like that example we said, doing making dinner with love. Isn't that really making dinner creatively? Well, think about anything you did with this idea of love, like we talked about. Now think about all the things you've done that have been creative. Aren't they done the same way? Isn't it the same approach? Maybe it's not an image of a person. Maybe it's the image of my experience in life or my experience in something. I'm painting a picture or drawing something or writing something. And so it's a little different than making dinner for someone. I'm doing something now for some, some other reason. But it's the same qualities. It's the same type of expression. And in life, what do you want to do? You want to be kind to yourself. And the more kind you are to yourself, the more kind you are to everyone. And if you can speak to yourself with love, you can speak to other people with love. I mean, the first thing you see when someone is unable to speak in a very kind way is that they're suffering. Because the way you're speaking to other people is just a projection of how you speak to yourself. And there's no separation between this creativity and love, but you can call it whatever you want. But it's the expression of your consciousness to illuminate this experience. Because you can live a life and not express yourself and see how much you suffer. Think about when you have a disagreement with someone or you're trying to explain something to someone and you keep explaining it and, and you think you're doing it very straightforward and very simply, simple and they don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and, and don't you get frustrated? Right. And so now think about the opposite. You explain something to someone and they understand perfectly and get it right away and say, oh, you explained this great. How do you feel? 
This is the feeling you're searching for in life, not happiness. Happiness is temporary. What you're searching for, not searching for, but what you're, you want to experience is this contentment that you have expressed yourself. You've done everything you can do. There's nothing more. And even these aspects where you, or times where you're getting frustrated with the people is just to let it go, is to not be attached to the result. If this person can't get it, I can only do my best. Maybe my best is not good enough. Maybe it's just them. Maybe it's me. But this is the best. But we identify with this and we start to see ourselves as a failure because they don't understand and we get frustrated with ourselves. And so this is what we're trying to do in life is to find this most complete way to express ourselves because this is where the contentment is, is that we feel heard. And this could be in anything. When I say creativity, I'm not saying you have to paint a picture. This is not creativity. This is an outcome of it. You, you can be a, a janitor. You can be a yoga teacher. You can be anything and do it with this love, this attention to the, the, the moment and, and the expression within yourself. So this is the purpose of life. And, and at times when you got into this expression where you felt connected to it, you felt good. You felt alive. And the opposite happens when you go the other direction. So what we want to do is we want to remove the resistance to our expression. And the resistance is all these ideas that we're attached to. The reactions. And this is the whole process of self-realization. How, how are these emotions and these feelings disrupting your life? How does this work? How does this harm ourselves? And just like I talked about, the physical body is temporary, right? It's constantly changing. And if I try to describe you in this exact moment, I'm wrong. Maybe to the visual eye, you're exactly the way I'm saying, but you've changed. Every second, every millisecond, you're a different person. Everyone is. If you think about your body, how is this body operating? And how is it connected to the mind? Do you understand the connection between the mind and the body? So if we look at the body, the body is trillions of atoms vibrating. And it's vibrating so fast that it appears to be solid. Same thing with this floor. It looks solid, it feels solid, but it's not. There's not one thing in this room or in this world that's not vibrating. Now, things, some things vibrate faster or higher frequency, but everything's just vibration. And it's this projection of these, these atoms. And what does vibration cause? If the floor is vibrating so strongly, what happens? You feel it, right? The stronger the vibration, the easier it is to feel. And we call these feelings, some of these feelings, we call them emotions. But it's just a sensation. And so if your body is vibrating in every millimeter of your body, can you feel it? 
How many people can feel their entire body vibrating right now? There's a sensation in, in your body, in every millimeter of your body right now. But your mind is very coarse, and it's only tuned into the very strong sensations. The, the back pains, the leg pains, or strong pleasurable feelings. But the mind doesn't feel everything, because it's not trained properly. And what you want to do is you want to become more sensitive through the mind and the body to feel it. And why do you want to do this? Why do you want to become more sensitive? Or don't you? It's funny, I, I, people come to me for counseling and they, oh, I'm too sensitive. And they're going to yoga classes. Why are you going to yoga? You're just going to become more sensitive. Isn't that the whole point of yoga, the whole point of life, is going from the very coarse vibration to the most subtle vibration, which is God. Is to be able to create awareness of all these vibrations to get you to the most subtle vibration within. And so what you want to do is to learn how to recognize these sensations because every vibration is unique, right? If you have a thought that's a happy, nice thought, it feels different in the body, doesn't it? Yeah? If you have negative thoughts, don't you feel different? Every mantra has a different vibration, it has a different feeling. Intuition has its own sensation. And once you learn how to feel what that unique sensation is, then you can tune into it. But people don't recognize the, the feeling, and so they have a hard time getting back to that spot. Even truth has its own vibration. If you meet people who are close to the, this end of this path of self-realization or being self-realized, they can tune into the truth much easier. Everyone can do it to some extent now, right? You, if you have a friend who's lying to you, you can say, oh, I can feel this person is lying. Or you go to buy a car and you can tell the car salesman is not being authentic. They're, they're just trying to sell you the car or the clothes or whatever it is because the vibration is different. And what you want to do is to learn how to feel that vibration and then you know the truth. So we start with the vibrations within us. And this is how the mind and the body start to work together, right? Because you perceive something from one of your senses, whether you see something, you taste something, or you feel something, or even think something, and then you react to it. You say, I like this, or I don't like this. And then you have a reaction. And depending on the aspect of psychology that you're experiencing that vibration of this reaction happens at a different part, happens in a different part in the framework of the body. So, for example, you get angry. Some of you, you're in a conversation with someone and you get angry. 
What happens when you get angry? You lower your vibration. What's happening to your breath when you get angry? Does it slow down? No, it goes fast. It goes fast. How about the heartbeat? Also rising. It rises. Why? Why, why does the breath in the heartbeat change when, when you get angry? Going to protective mode. Uh, I, I don't know how much that is true. Maybe a part of it, but I, I, I don't think that that's really... Maybe for some things like fear or something, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think that this is the, the dominant reason. I mean, I, I know it's not the dominant reason, but maybe there's some aspect to it. But what happens is, like I said, you perceive something from one of the senses, and then the reaction to it causes a vibration. And that vibration resides somewhere in the body, depending on which aspect of the psychology it is. And so anger resides in the heart chakra, right? And so the vibration of anger is a, is a dense vibration, relatively speaking. And what's a, what's a very subtle vibration in the body? Prana. Right, everyone knows what prana, the, the life force that animates everything that's living, even things that are not alive have a little bit of prana. And we practice prana through these breathing exercises we call pranayama, but prana is not the breath. It's the energy that animates the lungs when you breathe. Prana is the energy that goes to my muscle when I try to pick something up. So the stronger my concentration, the stronger my capacity to move my prana around when I pick something up, so the stronger I will be. This is why when you're tired, your concentration isn't so good, you're not as strong. So, what does the prana do? It, go, it travels through the 72,000 channels in the body and helps animate the different aspects of the body, specifically the organs. Like I said, the prana is a very fine vibration. You have to really create this, this subtle awareness to feel it. But the vibration of anger is a coarse vibration. And, so, and this happens in the area of the chest and the lungs. And the prana is not able to penetrate this so easily. And so now the lungs are, are not able to expand as, as much as normal. So what they have to do is they have to start to breathe harder to try to force them to get enough oxygen. And the same thing with the heart. It's, it's difficult because of this, this vibration of anger is constricting the pumping of the blood from the heart. And so the prana is not able to access it, so the heart has to beat harder in order to pump the blood. And what happens if this is a habitual pattern for you is eventually you will have heart and lung trouble if you have a lot of anger. And this is how disease is formed. It all starts in the mind. You know, the anger goes away and that dissipates, but if it's a habitual pattern, it'll stay there a little bit, the residual vibration. And this is how you can look at illness in people and see the psychology that caused it. It's very 
easy to, to understand. This is the process of becoming aware of your reaction to these sensations. And so what happens when you get angry and you feel the sensation is you react. And depending on your history and your temperament, you'll react a particular way. And if this is a habitual pattern, you'll say, okay, every time I get angry, I do this. I yell or I run out of the room or I hit the wall, whatever it is. And this is your habit pattern. And this habit pattern continues because you participate in it. You're basically feeding it. Your reaction is continuing your habit pattern. You, you can... You, you can... Let go of all your karma if you stop reacting. It's your reaction which is continuing all your habit patterns. Because your reaction is, is the cause of them. So how do you stop reacting? That's, that's the yeah. question, right? Creating awareness, I guess. Creating, first creating awareness of the sensations. So when I get angry, I can feel it in my chest. I don't even have to name the emotion. It's not important. I don't like this word emotion. It's just a feeling, a sensation. And I just observe it. Okay, what is the sensation that's happening? I can feel it in my chest. How's the mind? It's not so peaceful. And I take an inventory of what's happening. And as I'm taking this inventory, then I, I'm observing the sensations. I'm trying to tune into the sensations. Because I want to train my mind to feel every millimeter of vibration in my body. Because if I could do this, I can control my prana. I could feel the, the, the truth within me. I can feel all these sensations and I can understand my reaction to them. The, the body is this instrument. And so as I'm feeling all these sensations, then I start to think. What are these sensations trying to get me to do or not do? When I get angry, I can feel the sensations. It's wanting me to yell at this person, or it's wanting me to withdraw. And so then, after I have this thought, the first thing is just to feel it. The second thing is to have this thought of, what is this sensation trying to get me to do or not do? And then the third thought, or the second thought, is what is the right thing to do? This is how you stop all your habit patterns. If you can, if you can resist the identification. But the thing is, even though you told me at the beginning of the class you're this consciousness, you don't truly believe it because you react to this anger or the, the emotion because it's so strong and you identify with it. But if you observe it and just say, this is just a sensation. What's happening? What's my reaction to this? And what's the behavior that's coming from this? And that behavior is the reaction that's con is continuing this habit path. Can I su suggest that? Uh, can I ask a question? Yeah. A direct question. Of course. I, I, for example, I I suffer a lot from freezing in a moment. Like I cannot act anymore. Okay. 
And then I'm suffering because I don't know how to escape from that moment. I don't know how to express myself. So I cannot do what you say there. I cannot create awareness of that moment because I'm frozen. Yeah, but being aware that you're frozen is, 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 a, is an awareness. Right? Well, you know, I'm trying to feel these sensations and stuff. So I just feel numbness. Well, numbness is a sensation. Everything is a sensation. And so if I freeze, I just start to observe. Okay, I'm, I feel frozen. And what is this feeling? Oh, it starts here. I can feel it here. I, I try to just take a, a physical inventory. And then I say, okay, once I do this, then I say, what is this? Causing me to do or not do, causing me to want to do or not do. So it's causing me to want to just close down, or it's causing me to, okay, what, what's the right thing to do? Not close down, to participate, then do it. But it's very difficult because you're actually closing down. Yeah, but you're identifying with that. Identify with, uh, not identify, but let that identification just observe it. It's just happening, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean I need to participate. If you're freezing and you're, you're, you're paralyzed to do something, just observe it. Okay, this is the way. If I can't physically do anything, I'll just sit here and observe it for a while. But I have to, you know, I have to understand that some habit patterns are, are getting me to not do anything when I should do something, and some are getting me to not do something or to do something, not do something when I should. But the first thing is the observation of what's happening, the inventory. And the second part then is, what does this cause me to want to do or not do, and what is the right thing to do? And if you can look at everything in your life this way, you start to see your habit patterns. You start to see how you're, you're, you're causing them to continue. You know, you look at... I'll give you a very simple example. Imagine you're at uh, a get-together with a bunch of people and you, you start to try to fit in and communicate and you feel left out. You feel excluded. You feel like you're not connecting. And what do you do? A typical reaction is, I'm going to sit in the corner or I'm going to just go home. So think about this reaction to this, this feeling. So the first thing is you're in this experience and you start to have the sensation. Where is the sensation? Well, maybe it's in my stomach, maybe it's in my throat, but for people it's different. And then when you feel this sensation, you feel this unwanted or unliked or disconnected, you want to leave or you want to exclude yourself. Well, don't you see that your behavior is continuing the habit pattern? Because the first thing is you don't feel connected, so what you're going to do is disconnect even more. And if you look at every one of your habit patterns, it's all this way. You're causing them to continue by reacting to them and by resisting your authentic nature. So becoming your authentic self will be to resist your habit patterns. Resist is to not react. Yeah. Because it's your reaction which is, is, is all the self-judgment. Anything you're reacting to is just judgment, self-judgment. And so if you're reacting to what someone says or what you see on TV, there's self-judgment. Why are you reacting so strongly? And 
if you want to understand your habit patterns, this is the way to do it, is to start to look at how you're reacting to these feelings. You can then try to say, okay, well, why am I having this judgment to myself? You can go this way, but it's not necessary. It's helpful, but it's not necessary. Right? We can try to, to, to think of the cause of the habit patterns, but this is very difficult because you may say, oh, this started when I had this experience as a child. But this most likely is untrue. Most likely this habit pattern began before you were born, and you had this experience that brought this out, or that got you in this mindset. So it's your limited capacity to recognize the origins of these habit patterns that makes it difficult for most people. but. It's like killing a weed in your garden. You can kill it in two ways. You can pull it out by the roots, and it'll never grow again. And this is understanding the habit pattern it began in this lifetime or whatever it is. Or you can just smother that weed and not give it any nutrients. No sun, no water, and it'll eventually die. And this is the same thing. Is You don't need to know where all these habit patterns began. It may be helpful, but it's unnecessary. But if you don't give them life, they're going to go away. And so then this new behavior will change this feeling. Because now when something happens and I start to, to feel this anger, I go, oh, I see what's happening. I don't try to resist it. Don't try to deny you're angry and this, because this is, this is suppression. You don't want to do this. But just to accept. Accept. In this moment, I'm angry. I feel it. I don't need to react, because when you react, then what happens? A, a day later, an hour later, a week later, you regret it. And this is self-awareness after the fact. You want to become aware in the moment. And so if you're reacting, it's difficult. And so you just say, okay, well, what is the right thing to do? And what does this feeling cause me to want to do or not do? And if you can do this, with, and become aware of all these feelings, you start to see your habit patterns, and you start to see the resistance to your true nature, your authentic nature. But what happens is we try to manage these feelings, these vibrations. We feel hurt, sad, depressed, and what do we do? We eat when we're not hungry, or we engage in some other activity. And why do we do that is because after you ate, your body has to digest the food. It doesn't have to feel the feelings. And so we're just trying, everything is just a management of these feelings. And you just have to see, well, how am I managing this feeling? But you have to first tune in to be aware that it's happening. How do I feel this? How do I experience this feeling? How do I tune in my mind to feel what's happening? And this is the whole process of yoga of life, is learn how to tune your mind into the sensitivity. And if you're stuck on these very coarse vibrations, it's going to take forever. That's why we are end up, for example, in are really angry, right? Black out, basically. And you, you don't have any awareness anymore. Well... Because the emotion is already so high. Yeah, but you have to get into this natural disposition that any emotion I get or any feeling I get, I'm going to first observe before I react. 
Well, discipline. I don't like this word discipline, but 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 yeah, I see what you're saying. It, it, what it really is is instead of discipline, what I, I look at it as false identification. Because if she's saying that when this emotion is so strong, it's hard to to not react. And so what you're basically saying is when the the feeling is not so strong, I don't identify with it. But when it's strong, I identify with it so much I have to react. And my question is, at what point, because if it's already strong, it's difficult to do it. At what point do you get away? Every point. Right? You don't wait for something to happen. Because who's in control? What you're saying is, you're saying, at what point will I not be controlled by this feeling? And I'm telling you that you have to, I don't want to say separate, but you have to observe yourself through the consciousness, not the mind and not the body. Just like we talked about in the, the three positions of, of how to deal with the, the pain. And so you have to just observe what is happening in, in, a, in a way that's not identifying with it, that it doesn't need to react. So you're about to say that you observe all the time. You're observing all the time, whether you recognize it or not. The, the question is, is the thought and the feeling so strong that you, you identify with it? Of course. Well, they, do this, uh, they do this unconsciously as well. You don't see why, oh, I wasn't so pleasant to this person or why I behaved this way. The, you, people don't know. They don't, uh, in, in different ways... They don't know that, oh, they're acting this way because this person reminds them of some, some way they look at themselves that's not so nice. We do this in, in everything. And we don't see people for who they are because we project our own stuff onto them and we react to that projection. But if you can tune your mind into these vibrations, then you can start to heal yourself. Heal yourself from the habit patterns, heal yourself from the illness that's going to be caused by these habitual patterns and the disease. All disease begins in the mind. I was giving a workshop and I gave that example of the anger and the, the one of the people in the workshop said, oh, I had a heart attack. Yeah, I have lots of anger. And he described his whole life. It was that example. So how do we cure ourselves is we have to tune in and, and we have to learn how to feel the very subtle sensations. And this is why I think pranayama is one of the most important aspects of, of yoga. Because once you learn how to tune into the subtlety of moving prana around your body, then you start to control it. And this is the whole point of pranayama, is, be, is to learn how to control this energy through the lungs, because the lungs we can operate consciously or unconsciously. And once we are able to control the lungs and, and learn how to do this, then we can start to control the other organs in the body. But of course, the lungs are easier because we could do this consciously or unconsciously without so much experience or knowledge. But once you tune into this, then you start to say, okay, 
how do I heal myself from these habit patterns, from this disease, from this? As you understand the framework of the body, we understand the chakra system. If something is happening in this area, it's related to the heart chakra. So what, what psychology am I dealing with in the heart and, and all the chakras we and then where do I have difficulty being flexible? Right? Some yoga postures are very difficult for one person and very easy for another. Why is that? Is because of the psychological disposition. And so look at yourself when you're doing a posture that's difficult. Why do I have difficulty holding this easy posture? What is it about the energy that's being focused in this posture and the psychology behind it. And then if your mind is very subtle, then you start to say, okay, I can feel, yeah, my body is not so flexible in this part or my, I, I don't feel the sensation so strongly there. And so you start to tune your mind in and say, okay, maybe I need to control the prana going through this. And so to heal yourself from these things, you have to focus on these three things, the behavior, the physiology of the flow of all this and the psychology, what is causing it. And if you can look at these three things, you can heal yourself from anything. That can be linked to subconscious and inherited. Inherited? Yeah. What do you mean by... You talk about... Inherited from past lives. Yeah. Well... Linked to the subconscious. I mean, if you can't get into a certain posture, mm -hmm. you say it's the mind. Oh, of course it is, yeah. But that is connected to previous experiences, maybe. So well, it definitely mind, is. The, mm -hmm. the negative part of the mind, the subconscious. The yeah. But if you can let go of all these identifications to the mind, you can do that posture easier. If, if you have difficulty in a, a particular posture, alter your mind through through some drugs or something like this, and you'll be able to get into this posture. It's this idea that limits your your your, your movement. Of course, people have deformities, and, and this is something different. But what we do is we try to think it, it's the, the mind and the body, or we try to think it's the body, and we try to stretch the body but it's really stretching the mind at the same time. The more flexible the body, the more flexible the mind. This is the reason you do, one of the main reasons you do the physical part of yoga, is to make the mind more flexible. Some people are very, they work a lot of yoga, and yoga and very flexible, because they, they see it was a sport. Yeah, but... but yeah, but you have to look at this flexibility. You know, it, we have judgment for everything. And we think, oh, if you're flexible, this is great. This is judgment. It's positive judgment. But it's not 100% true. Yeah, because you said the more you're flexible, the more your mind is open. Yeah, which is true. But, but flexibility doesn't necessarily mean that it's, in certain aspects, it's very good. In certain aspects, it's not. And so it's, it's always balance. Right? It's always finding the balance in things. We have the, the positive mind, the negative mind, and the neutral mind, but we want to operate from the neutral mind. We want to find the balance. We want to be flexible where we can do whatever we want, 
but it doesn't mean we will. It doesn't mean we should. And, but it's, it's important to have the, the capacity to, to do, to act without these preconceived ideas or without this disposition of idea of who you think you are preventing you from having experiences. And so the more flexible you are to this, the better it is. But there becomes a point where some things you need to be a little more stiff to, to get things done in life. And if you're too flexible, maybe you jump around to so many things that you never complete one thing. And so qualities have no, nothing has value. Everything is empty. It's the value that you give to it, meaning the relationship you have with it. I've met people who are very, very flexible, the most flexible people I've ever seen, and you think this is good, but they never do anything because they go from one thing to the other and they never finish anything. And so for that person, they need to be a little more stiff. So it's, it's the relationship we have with things and qualities that determines the, our reaction to it. And to look at your relationship with things. Why do I react this way? And is this uh, a action or reaction that's, that's caused by lots of judgment? Because this idea of love or the resistance to love is all self-judgment. Because you don't see that your purpose in life is this expression and this expression is not just the things that you love about yourself but the expression of everything about yourself. You may be painting a picture and you have all these colors to use and you say, I don't like this color, I'm not going to use it. But you don't know, if you take this color and mix it with this color and this color, it may increase the, 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 the capacity of your picture to express itself in a, in a more broad way or more specific way. And so you have to learn to accept without condition. All right, so we'll, we'll finish here. So everyone sit nice and straight, put your hands to, together. Inhale. I'd like to tell you about Sing Flutes. These are flutes that are made by me. They are handcrafted Native American style flutes designed for sound healing. The flutes are tuned to the frequency of 432 Hertz, the harmonic intonation of nature. The fundamental note of each flute is in a key to vibrate a particular chakra. Whether you are playing for others or yourself, listening to 432 Hertz music resonates inside the body. In fact, they did a medical study where they hooked people up to a brain and heart monitor and played different instruments to them. The Native American-style flute had the most impact in relaxing them. 
If you're a yoga teacher, it's a great instrument to incorporate into your classes. What I do is I have an app on my iPad that has the sounds of nature, and I'll put on the sounds of rain and play over this to the students at the end of the class. It's a very intuitive instrument to play. There's no musical knowledge necessary to get started. Each flute is unique since they're handmade. I put different artwork on them. I put mantras on them related to the chakras that they're tuned to. So go check them out at singflutes.com, S-I-N-G-H-F-L-U-T-E-S.com. Use the discount code, the story of me podcast and get 10% off. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the program. Please continue to support it by making a donation, going to the story of me podcast.com. And on the contact page, there's a donate button. And you can also submit your questions there as well. So please continue to participate and support this program so we can make this a nice interactive experience. And until the next time, from the podcast that awakens your inner power through awareness and understanding, allow love to be the current that carries your words and actions. Wow.